Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Rob Turley, your host at Down the Rabbit Hole Podcast, where we interview the world's top disruptors, entrepreneurs, and salespeople, sometimes marketing people, when we feel like it. But, you know, anyway, today I have a pretty special guest with me, and his name is Steve Bookbinder. And he is the CEO at a wonderful company of uh, where he teaches people how to, quite literally, Bridge the gap between your sales and marketing team and your marketing team between sales team and your sales team between everybody else and all that in the mix. So that's a very important piece of the process, but teaching marketing how to sell and teaching sales how to market are two very important things because those things should be attached. They shouldn't be separate divisions, separate silos as they have been. They should be connected. When they're not connected, that's when they're ineffective, right? So Steve, please. So um, I am the lead trainer for our company, and I mention that because um, it, when I first started, we had sometimes simultaneous uh, training gigs, so I had to send other people out. But most of my clients prefer it when I do it, and it's because um, I think I bring something to the training that, um, that other trainers don't. And the thing that I bring, most trainers are gurus, they're experts, they'll tell you, you know, I was super successful and I sold a trillion dollars worth of shoes or cars or copy machines or whatever they did. In my case, I was, I was actually, I went the other way. I was trying to avoid sales. I started off as a stand-up comic and as an improv actor and at night. And then during the day, I didn't, you know, I wanted to be, I don't remember why, I wanted to avoid sales. I was in advertising on the creative side, which is... Um, a great way to not make any money, but feel good about being creative and artistic. And then one day my wife, uh, who's not in sales, but is an extremely persuasive person, she worked uh, at the time at a television uh, company and she uh, looked out her office window at the parking lot where the ad salespeople park their cars. And one day she calls me and she goes, I'm looking out the window at the ad sales parking lot. And I'm noticing how much nicer their cars are than ours. And I'm thinking, maybe you want to think about sales. And so with that, sales. And so I go into sales, but I don't know anything about sales. I just know about acting. So I just imitate other people. I walk like them. I talk. When they would, when I would, like I had a, a, a boss who, when he was got, got a question or a hard objection, he'd stroke his chin. So I would do that too. I would get, go on a meeting. I'd stroke, but I didn't know why. I didn't know what was, you know, I was hoping a great answer would come out. And, and so what I learned was I didn't know what to do. And so I was totally open to any advice. And because of that, I became a fan of training. But I also became a fan of noticing how many things people tell you which sound right. And we all believe it because they sound right, but they're just not right. And, and I'll give you my favorite example of that. And there's a million of them, but this one. If you do something every day for 21 days, it's a habit. Yeah? No. If you do something bad every day, it'll be a bad habit. That's easy. If you're not watching enough TV, watch it every day for 21 days. If you're not drinking heavily enough, drink heavily for 21 days, you'll have it. But if it's like exercise, get in shape, read more, somehow that doesn't, it's a daily decision. And so once I started appreciating that, I had to go out and get to the real advice that works is when I discovered really the seeds of sales training. Little by little by little, I began working with companies and meeting occasionally some very, very smart, successful people. And when I did, I just 
learn more about what they did, tried it myself, and if it worked for them and it worked for me, it then became part of my training. So my training today, many years later, is really just a, a catalog of everything that I've learned that works uh, and omitting everything that doesn't work. So, uh, uh, and so it was all field tested, and I'm no smarter than anybody I'm teaching. I've just saved them the trouble of spending 4,000 nights of your life in a hotel room so you could be on the front lines with some company where you can learn and meet these people. So I just bring the best practices to everybody who uh, normally doesn't get a chance to get out as much. Right, right, right. So creating that conglomerate experience of learning all of the things that do work and through that experience, the things that work absolutely. There's plenty of stuff out there. I like how you opened up where you're saying that, yeah, these people say that, these people say that, this is the best thing ever. And, you know, you forgot one thing is that most of them are just totally delusional, but that's okay. Um, or they think that one way is the right way, my way or the highway. There is no good, there is no good way, bad way, wrong way, right way. There's a bunch of different ways. And when you put them together, it can create something great or it can create something terrible or something indifferent. So I think it's important for people to understand is that just, oh, this one sales methodology is the best. No, it's not. It Part of it's good. But then like, what about everything else? It's not working here, 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 and here. Why aren't we using other methodologies to be able to do that? And why not use part of your own experience of other jobs that don't even have to do with sales in those experiences? I mean, That's really, it. people are just people, whether you're selling, doing or, or doing any form of business. People are still just people. And to resonate with them, you can use all sorts of different attributes, such as stand-up comedy, being able to mimic people, things like that. Because mirroring someone is so important in body language is like 76% of the language. So it's really important to be able to mirror that experience so that they feel like they're talking to somebody who they can relate to at more than just a vocal and ideological level, but at a physical level. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And here yet is another example of we know things, but we don't know. them. So really, anybody that knows anything about nonverbal body language probably heard something like 70, 80, 90, 95 percent of communication is nonverbal, depending on who you talk to and which uh, stat you want to pay attention to. But what nobody will tell you is this. When you go on a sales call, you are attempting to do several difficult things all at the same time. You're trying to pay attention to the body language, read the signals, you know, read the room, and remember what you're going to say, and think about where you want the meeting to be 60 minutes now from now when it's over, and where you need to be later in the day. So all these things are going, and how do I look right now, and am I presenting myself right? You know, it's not only, if I'm reading the other person, they're, they're reading me and they're reading me whether I realize they are or not. And by the way, if they're misinterpreting, misreading, misunderstanding my body language, it's not really what I meant, but that's how it looked to them. For example, I looked too relaxed. Maybe I was actually relaxed, but I looked, I look indifferent, for example. And so keeping all of these things in your head at the same time is tricky. So why do I mention that? Because most salespeople, they walk into a meeting and the, the same words come out of their mouth, no matter what the expression on the other person's face is. And I'll give you a great example, my favorite example of this. Years ago, I was trying to prove this point by creating a video that deliberately showed a salesperson missing the signals. So I needed a, somebody to play the salesperson. Just by chance, somebody came to our office to sell us a piece of office equipment. And I said, listen, 
Can I ask you a question? We're doing a video. We need a salesperson and we need them to deliberately screw up and really not pay attention and kind of, kind of, you know, not be perfect. Can we ask you if you'd be, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, totally. I would love to do this. So we go into the set and I play the customer. He plays the salesperson. And while he's talking, I take my glasses off. I'm clearly not paying any attention. I'm cleaning my glasses. I was making tea. I was steeping the tea. I was cleaning my tea. At some point, I was totally not paying attention. He never noticed it. When we get to the end of the video, he said to me, oh, I'm so sorry. You had told me not uh, to, to deliberately screw it up. I forgot to screw up. I forgot to add the mistake. Meanwhile, we have them on video, you know, like the worst performance ever. It's, but, oh, yeah, that I mean, means you know, it was real as it real can be. Just terrible it, sales at its finest because yeah. they're oblivious to the it's, terribleness. But, you know, this is why, what, what, you know, it's like, you know, what is training? Training is practice. So training isn't what happens in a workshop because you maybe you're in a workshop once a year or twice, a, two days out of the year. What do you mostly practice? Well, you mostly practice not training. What happens when you practice something? You get good at that. So if you practice never getting trained, then you get great at that. If you practice never changing your approach, you get great at that. If you practice never paying attention to the customer and just reciting the lines that you had prepared at your, you know, at home, then you get good at that, but you don't get good at reading any body language. So to get good at reading body language, the first thing you got to do is you have to remember to pay attention to what they're saying and do that while you're thinking of your next question, while you're thinking of the perfect answer. So the only way you could do that is through role playing, particularly role playing, where you're extra challenging yourself. And I'll give you an example. I used to be a professional improv player. Uh, in a club in the city that doesn't exist anymore, but it was a famous club. And a lot of uh, famous improv people would come and, and, and perform with us when they were in town. Robin Williams uh, most notably did that, and I got a chance to perform with him. So, But when we were in a show, we would ask the audience for a suggestion. And because we did a lot of shows and got a lot of... Interestingly, the audience was never good at figuring out what was a difficult suggestion. So what they would do is they kind of gave us the same suggestions all the time. So sometimes we'd have to say, listen, we want a reason that uh, two people would fall in love, but not this, not money, not this, not that. Well, when we would do a rehearsal, we would rehearse. Now, that doesn't mean that we prepared this, the bits that we were going to do. It meant that we, we practiced the art of making it up as you go along. But yep. we would give each other really hard uh, uh, suggestions. So if an audience, you know, if we needed an animal image, I need an animal image. The audience would yell, elephant, lion. But when I was in a rehearsal in the same prompt, I'd say slug, dead slug. Okay, easy to be a lion, easy to be an elephant, hard to be a dead slug and make that funny on stage. But if you could get good at that, then you're going to be good at anything the audience gives you. And I apply that to sales. If you're sitting at home with a glass of wine the night before, imagining the, uh, let's say, a negotiation that you're going to have. You're going to imagine it it's, in your mind. It's like a movie where perfect lines come out of your mouth. But when you actually get there and all these stimuli are coming and the pressure of the meeting and you got only an hour, maybe the guy's a couple of minutes late, hard to be perfect you know, in real life. So role playing is so critical to practice the art of performing under pressure. Ironically, it, it, it's probably the if you do nothing, nothing else. Don't take any lessons. Don't learn any. Just simply role play. Everybody would be better off. But for some reason, salespeople hate to role play. It's the most amazing thing. No other 
activity work. If you say to a baseball player, you know, it, it, before the game, let's warm up, throw me the ball. They go, oh, yeah, sure, sure. But if you did the equivalent thing with a salesperson, they're like, I don't like to do it. I don't like to sell when anybody's looking at me. I only like to do it when everything is on the line and there's a lot of pressure and I do it with no practice. You know, that's, uh, that's the nutty thing. So uh, I try to make it as easy and comfortable as possible for people to role play. I make games out of it. And I score points and I, you know, and I make fun of myself. You know, that's the other thing. I'm self-deprecating when I do that training. So I let, to let them know that, you know, here's an example of me screwing up or doing the wrong thing. Yeah, it makes them feel better about themselves. And that's a good thing because they need to feel like accepted and validated. And by invalidating yourself in a playful way is that it makes them feel better about themselves, gives confidence. So it's like a synthetic form to provide confidence to them. And it's, I think it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. This, you said something early on. I just want to unpack. You said something about, well, people kind of look for what works. And the thing about sales is that when you look at it from a statistical point of view, nothing works. Nothing works. It's almost like digital marketing. In digital marketing, they look at how many people click on an ad and, uh, you know, clicking on an ad puts you on the landing page. How many people that got to the landing page took the action? Well, for the most part, most people don't click. And then when they get to the landing page, most people don't do it. Same thing in sales. Most calls don't result in an appointment. Most emails are not read. The majority of, even if you close one out of three prospects, which would be incredible, you're still not closing two out of three. And so the, you know, so nothing works from that point of view. And uh, so you have to find a different way to think about what's working. And, you know, and so what salespeople do is they, be, they become unduly influenced by the famous exception. They remember the one time something works and you know what? Everything will work once. I once told a customer they were wrong and then I got the sale. They literally told me what they wanted and I said, you know what, I've been doing this a long time and I hear what you're saying, but I got to tell you, if I did what you just said, it won't work for your company. That He was describing the training he wanted. I said, I, 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 it won't work. If you want that training, I'm not the right guy. I'll recommend. But to be honest with you, I think you're wrong. I think you want to do training. It does this, that, and the other thing based on the goals you gave me. And the guy went, huh, you know what? You're right. I, I was really wrong. I'm going to go with you. And so he buys. So what would you call that? The tell the customer they're wrong strategy. If you tried that a hundred times, it won't work. It worked that one time. Everything works that one time. So, you know, to the one of the tricks is, is nothing works all the time. So what do I need to do at this moment to get to make this moment work better? And one more piece on that. The game of sales is not what people think. Most people think, well, sales is about making a sale. No, everything will eventually cause a sale. If you call, call enough people, you'll eventually get a sale. If you yell out the window, you'll eventually get a sale. If you walk down the block with a, you know, screaming, I sell uh, balloons, anybody want one, you'll eventually sell one. The problem with sales, in a, call it a problem, is that every year the goals go up. That's the thing. It's not sales. It's every year the goals go up. In fact, it goes up like a in, in sports, they would call it a personal best. Every year you got to hit a personal best. So I ask people, I ask every, I've trained 50,000 people. I mean, in person, I've asked every audience. I like to start with that. I go, um, how are you going to make more sales next year than this year? And everybody tells me the same three answers. Again, wrong answers that were beaten into their head. Wrong, they sound good, but then, well, you work harder, you work smarter, you're more productive. 
course. Why didn't I think of that? Just work hard. Yeah. What if you were already working? By the way, what if you're in sales 20 years? Is The goal isn't to like, I never sleep, I never eat. Work smarter. How would that work? You go to the smart machine, you turn it up from six to seven, you smart. Work more productive. More productive was a great piece of advice in 1986. But, you know, in today's world, 2021, we are up to our eyeballs in productivity tools. There's no shortage of productivity. We have more to do than time. So the answer is not any of those things. The answer actually is these three things. Change your word, uh, the words that come out of your mouth. Change how you manage your time and change how, what you track. And by the way, when you're managing your time, that's another one. People think managing your time means being busy, means multitasking. Look at every example of multitasking. Let's say you're trying to uh, play a game, a video game, and you're on an important sales call. One of the two will surely suffer, and sadly, sometimes it's the game and you are winning. So, uh, you know, I think time management is not being busier, not even necessarily getting more things done. It's when you align your time with your goals. Well, what, what are you trying to accomplish? Okay, did any of that stuff work its way into your calendar this week? No, then you didn't align your time with your goal. I'm trying to write a book. Did you write a book? No. Did you write the manuscript for the book? No. Did you write the table of contents? No. Have you spent any time this week thinking about the book? No. Then you're not aligning your time with your goals, which is why you didn't write the book. So when you when you look at, so I, I spent a lot of my time philosophizing about, what, I think we have to undo before we could do. We have to unlearn before we could learn because we were so steeped with advice that we are actually looking at an unreal world unless we jettison, unless we open our head, take everything out and start again from scratch, which is what I seek to do. And every time I read a new book, it's the effectively you read, I've read many books on psychology. Every single time I do, it, it's an open my head, you know, every Malcolm Gladwell book will work that way. And by the way, if people are listening, if they have not read Malcolm Gladwell book, you need to read all of them right now. You need to stop and get, and get the books. And Tipping Point, you probably need to read uh, four times. And um, Blink, Blink is about how people think. I've read about five books on how people make decisions. Why is that important? Because sales can't happen unless somebody made a decision. So we need for people to make decisions. We need to understand, well, what is the psychology behind a decision? And flawed decision. I read a book called The Logic of Failure, how, how very intelligent people will make a logical mistake in the pursuit of trying to uh, achieve a goal. Why do we make the wrong thing? And, uh, you know, you see that all the time. You see that with um, sunk cost thinking, you know, sunk cost thinking. This is the most common thing that happens to salespeople. Watch this. I'm working on an account. I was told that my sales cycle is 60 days, but mine is going 75, 80 days. When somebody asks me about it, I tend to say, and this is what most salespeople say to me when I question about old, never closing. I go, see, it's older than your sales cycle. They say, yeah, but this one's different. To which I say, different? Different from what? Different from the sales that normally close, therefore very similar to the sales that never close. Why would you want to spend even more time working on a sale that statistically matches up with the sales that don't close? But what happens is they don't think like that. So they keep working, keep working. The boss is coming to them and saying, listen, you got to close a sale already. And so they're going now they're going back to this aging out a prospect and they're dropping their pants. They go, listen, I know you <laughs> you haven't, but if I cut the price by 50%, so you do, so you, so you hold on 
too long to an account. And you know what will eventually happen? If you do that with enough accounts, occasionally one account will close two years later. And so the lesson seems to be, you never know. Maybe you should pursue everybody. You know, that's what gives you the throw of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And it's eventually you run out of time to throw enough stuff against the wall. You run out of walls. You run out of walls. You run, your walls look terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not worth it. That, that's part of what I'm in business for is to make it so it's none of that spaghetti at the wall that sticks stuff so that you're not contacting everybody in that whole numbers game crap. I mean, that's why that's why I exist. It's like literally just, just pinpoint the ones who are highest probability to build a relationship with you yeah. and then just dump the rest. Easy, yeah, easy. But, yeah, but you got to be ruthless and you got to say to yourself, it's it, you can't say, gee, it's almost close. No, no. If it's older, the 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 only buying signal, because well, there's another one. Well, as an actor, when I heard there was such a thing as a buying signal, I got excited. I went, buying, buying signal? Well, how, how does this buying signal? You mean the customer signal? Well, g give me an example of the buying signal. Well, if you've talked to enough salespeople, the buying signal could be any of these. If the customer asks a question, doesn't ask a question, ask about price, doesn't ask about price, smiles, doesn't, laughs, doesn't laugh, everything except uh, security, please escort this person out of my office. Everything else is a buying signal. In fact, even, even this is a buying signal. Security, please escort the person out. That's a buying signal. I know you go, well, how could that be a buying signal? Well, they don't say it that way. They say it this way. Huh. This is what the customer says at the end of a first meeting almost always. Huh. Interesting. Hey, do me a favor. Get me a proposal. Look what I just did. I just kicked you out very nicely. I just I didn't even have to have security escort you out. You were escorting yourself out. Now you're standing on the sidewalk and you go, gee, I got a homework assignment to produce a proposal, but I don't have a next step. And now I'm I'm busy working on something I don't even know it's gonna close. And that deducts away from my time that I could have spent prospecting, you know, until you were kicked out, but somehow you fooled yourself into thinking it's a buying signal. Yep. Most of the, the buying, only buying signal. A buying signal that I've seen is, uh, well, how much does it cost? If shown the cost, no reaction to it. It's like, okay, so uh, we're taking the next steps. Yeah, let's do it. Like, you know, that type of thing. Or, yeah. or they well, sit let's there, talk they're again. amazed by the product. Free. They're amazed by your pitch. They're amazed by you and everything like that. Then they just yeah. sit there and they're just like, wow. Yeah. But no words, just no words until you say something. You, you just, no words, no words, no words. And you just go, so you want to give it a try? And they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. See, then you must sell the way I do because what you're, what, what I, the, my language to describe that is you produce a reaction. You give them the opportunity to react, then you interpret the reaction. So the the smile, the, the the looking at you, know, the staring at you in amazement, you could read that a hundred different ways. But if you say, listen, so what if I? How about we get together again Tuesday at three? Or, to, or how about we just go ahead and move forward with this deal? You're going to get a reaction. It's going to tell you where you stand. I'll give you an example of the time thing that um, casinos understand math better than anybody, odds better than anybody. In fact. A game theory is sometimes called casino math. They, they, they're really experts at this. And one of the things that casinos do is when you go to a casino, they give you a card that has credit and you put it into a slot machine. But unbeknownst to the average customer, the casino is capturing data. And one of the things that they figured out is that there are maybe 50 different betting or better personas. And each one 
will spend a predictable amount of time at any particular machine, a specific amount of time without winning. How long will you play? How long will you, you the kind of gambler you are, play that specific machine without winning before you walk away? And so what they'll do is they'll determine, for example, that let's say I'm playing a machine and they know by the statistics that in 44 minutes of not winning, I will leave that machine. They want me to stay longer. They will send a waitress out at 39 minutes, unbeknownst to me, it's all part of the game, who will say, listen, you've been playing, the casino would like to buy you a drink. Would you like a free drink? Oh, yeah, I'll have a gin and tonic. And now 10 minutes go by, I'll wait for the drink. Now I'm instead of leaving at 44 minutes, I'm leaving at 59 minutes. They've understood this notion of time. And uh, and, and once you reach the end of the sales cycle, you, the odds go down and they change. All of a sudden you're putting, you know, if you're betting on a sale that's older than the normal selling cycle, you're putting more and more time against a sale, which is just statistically less and less likely to happen. Unless there is a reason why. Well, let's say there was a reason. Does that really change anything? Let's say it's not your fault, and let's say it's not the customer's fault. Let's say the customer didn't get back to you for a month, and it turns out when you finally got them, you thought they didn't like you, you took it personally, it turns out they were in a car accident. Okay, it's not your fault. It's not their fault. It had nothing to do with your sale. But what happens when we introduce more time? Time well, kills all deals. Yes, the priority chain. Like, okay, but the budget isn't until the third quarter. Right, That's right. when it's acceptable because mm -hmm. there's a hiatus. Yeah. And you come back to them. Not yeah. on the day of the third quarter, you come back to them a week before the third quarter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you and I are sensitive to the time and the you know, and, and, and you also brought up another thing which I realized, which is the seasons of selling which is the sale that you get, let's say a sale that uh, you get in the end of December. You got that sale because you worked all year to get into the budget talks, got in the budget, they now have the budget and they buy from you as soon as the department head got the permission to buy because they finally got the budget. But that's a very different sale than the sale you get in February. Well, February, you might still get the budget that wasn't spent in December. Or they have to reallocate money spend. Reallocated money. You need money. to be able to solution sell with them. Yeah. You need to, be able to talk to them. You need to actually help them and consult them through reallocating budget to use your thing that's more right. effective, that makes other right. things redundant, or is a good replacement, or is going to uh, uh, give them more output or profit in comparison to where other money can be Exactly. A totally different reallocating is a totally different decision than do we want to put it in the budget. Yeah, that's exactly. my favorite kind of sell, reallocation. Yeah. And then you get the June sale, which is the incremental. You know, it's like it turns out we've allocated this much money. We actually only spent that much. Turns out we have a little bit more than we thought for whatever reason. And, you know, but that's the sale you get. That's not the sale you get in December. That's the sale you get in June. It's true. I think it's awesome. I, I like all those different types of things. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so from your experience, by looking at all these different types of sales, by looking at how people are just as like a, a general overview of what you think of the sales industry what do, what do you think of the industry as a whole what is the thing that really pisses you off more than anything just out of the the blatant obviousness of what we can see but others cannot see 
what is the what is that biggest pet peeve that you have with what's going on out there? Uh, it's that salespeople forget or don't realize that the customer has changed. And one huge way the customer has changed is they have the internet. So in the old days, and you could argue that the old days were any any time before 18 months ago, but you know, in the, in the very old days, if a, if a person didn't know how to do something, like years ago, I, I ran the in-house agency at Farberware. So I wasn't a salesperson, but I bought from salespeople. And we had to build a trade show booth. You're probably familiar with most trade show booths are like 10-foot booths with a little bit of thing. But companies like Farberware will go to the houseware show with a 100-foot, two-story, two-floor booth, a kind of a booth that I didn't know anything about. So what did I do? I called in three or four salespeople. And the beautiful thing about being a customer is you could ask stupid questions. You could go, how does that work? And nobody could, you know, you don't know how that works. They, they just have to patiently explain it to you. So by talking to the salespeople, they gave me a quick education. They came to my office and educated me. But in today's world, I've seen a number of studies in the uh, last year that says that the typical B2B customer is behaving like a B2C customer, meaning that yep. they spend 55 to 75 percent the first 55 to 75% of the buying journey in uh, the internet prior to talking to any salespeople. So by the time they talk to a salesperson, they've already have education, a bias, they know something. So I think that the salesperson that doesn't appreciate that uh, uh, thinks that we don't know anything about it. So I got, I got an email today from a salesperson and the email was from a service that is like a commodity kind of a service, a lead gen, AI lead gen service. This is about 10 trillion of these companies. And they use the same email template, the same approach. And every one of them, they use the same approach. But they, when I say to them, you know, I get 10,000 of these things every day, every and week. The best part about it, too, is that it's not even actual AI. I build AI. They don't have shit. It's garbage. <laughs> Well, I think just adding AI in there somewhere, I mean, just saying saying the words probably is enough to fool most people. And uh, uh, yeah, so somebody like you would not be fooled. You'll have to real, you know what my biggest competitor in the market is? Fake is AI companies. <laughs> because it makes us all the real ones. It's only about 100 of us, the real people that do it. Um, and uh, it, it just makes us look bad and it puts a sour taste in people's mouths and it makes it very difficult with a lot of skepticism and it makes the, the doing business very difficult, even though it's something truly innovative and amazing that will change their business and change their life. It's just that it, that has they have just spread the disease of disgusting, nonsensical garbage technology all over the place that where the technology of the quote unquote AI is usually just like a bunch of Indians in a sweatshop in a warehouse on computers doing all this stuff, which is totally unethical on so many different levels, and they claim that it's AI. It's awful. Yeah. Well, I don't doubt that. That probably explains why the 10 trillion of them suddenly popped up. Yep. Uh, 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 so, um, uh, but but given that I, so I complain, so I try to be nice. I try to be nice, but I am sarcastic. So I do believe sarcasm helps. So, you know, today I kind of lost it with the guy, and the guy said, I in his email to me, I'll bet you're thinking about, and then he, you know, what he was betting that I was thinking about was the solution to a problem that he could solve. So, so uh, wrote, don't you tell me what I'm thinking, buddy. Yeah, so no. I wrote back, yeah, 
uh, you're going to bet what I'm thinking of? I'll take that bet because I already know what I'm thinking of and I get 10,000 of these things. Now, the, when I tell somebody, listen, I get 10,000 of the same pitch every day from companies that make the same claim, the person probably should ask this question. How, how come you haven't bought from one of them? Because that's actually the elephant in the room. If he thinks I'm going to buy this service, and I'm telling him I've been offered this something that sounds just like his, then there must be a reason that I didn't buy it. And if he can't solve for that, then he's not going to get a sale. But he doesn't do that. He has to argue whether, what you know, well, what, what do they say? Well, they said the same thing you did. Well, we're, we're different. Well, it sounds the same. Everything about it is the same, including the use of the word AI, you know. So, uh, the, the, you know, so, so I think that the big, you know, this, the customers changed, the business customers changed, they're more educated, and I think that's uh, part of it. And there's not one other thing. I think that today, you know, in the old days, and I'm talking like, you know, in movies, the salesperson was the type A personality, and they, you know, yelled louder, and they kind of, you know, uh, I, I like the um, challenger sale, but, you know, I think that people take it too aggressively and they're just like emotionally and socially aggressive. I think that the, the customer increasingly does not want that. You don't really want anybody to sell you. They don't want anybody selling to you. What I re and I tell salespeople this. I say, your job isn't to close. Your job isn't actually to sell. You know what your job is? Your job is to help the customer decide what to do. Help them decide what to do. Help people. And add, you can help. Sprinkle a little bit of problem solving on there, and also a bit of consultation, and a bit of validation, and a bit of support, and a bit of, are you sure you're making the right decision? Second guess, and then boom, you got yourself a good, you got yourself a good uh -huh. conversation. They have to like you. It's really about shooting the shit, helping them solve a problem, understanding the pain diagnosing that pain, helping them understand that is just a symptom. This is where the actual pain is coming from so they can fix that and then work with them to talk about how you can work with their business to solve that problem right then and there. And then if you can find a solution to that problem with the product that you sell, bonus. If you can't, then you can refer them to somebody else. Don't just sell them for no reason because they're not a fit for the product. Right. Yeah. And and so as you think about that, and, 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 I'm, and I'm hearing in what, the way you're saying it, Again, I think that you and I may, may sell the same way. You have to be able to know enough about the customer's business to ask that insightful question, to ask that question that goes, well, what about, and did you think about, and what do you, and, and I, another thing, you know. Uh, you, you need to know a good, a good level of business acumen. Yeah. What it is, it's, you need to have business acumen. If it's like, okay, if they're having this difficulty, that leads to these, 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 and these problems. And that means that they're struggling with this, guaranteed, because that's directly related. So that they need to improve this in order for that to become better, which will actually directly affect all these other things where they're having wow. issues. So this is how we need to approach it. This is where we need to take it. This is how it's yeah. going to uh, evolve over time. And then yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what you see? Salespeople kind of mad, what I call madmen the sale. They want to come in there with a pitch. Where they go, blah, 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 blah. And then they, they, what they want the customer, just like in the show Mad Men, to go, oh, my God. Oh, that is, yes. Where do I sign? That's what they want. I, I think it's rare that you're going to get that reaction. I tell salespeople, you know what reaction you want? This reaction. Huh. That's a good question. 
That's what I want this person to say. That's a good, now I know that we're on the same page and we're having a real conversation about the real question and it's going to end with me helping them, which uh, may produce a current sale or maybe it produces a sale or a referral down the road as opposed to I turn the person off and they'll never refer me and they'll think badly of me and ignore my emails forever. Right. And I know what you mean with those, those sales, that, those uh, madman sales. You see this pen right here? This is the greatest pen you will ever use in your entire life. It is a micron pen. It is so tiny, you could sign anything, a contract, the back of a credit card without it smearing. It's waterproof. And the best part about it, it could fit in your pocket. And it's not white and it's not pink. So it makes you look like a man. This is a man's marker. This is a man's marker that you can sign your name proudly with. You want to buy it? I can't wait to buy that pen. <laughs> you know, like it's like some stupid misogynistic crap. But that's yeah. like the thing. It's just like this temptation. Like this is the best thing in the world. It's all. It, it's all definitives. Best, most, least, worst, craziest, uh, fastest, uh, slowest. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Definitives don't exist. I mean, if you look at the basic laws of calculus, the limit does not exist. Definitives are not real. There's always something bigger, better, and badder, and there's always something far worse, slower and uglier than you ever will be there's always something out there if you don't you might not know about it yet but there is going to be something like that guaranteed every single time so when those words are used in marketing i think it's kind of like a sad attempt at just like saying we're the best it's like shut the hell up you're not <laughs> you're not just stop be a real person be more human and the more human you are the more people want to buy from you because they feel like you actually have uh you you care you understand them and you're there to actually help them. It's buyer centric, customer obsessed sales. 100%. I like it. That uh, That's a, a great way of saying it. Yeah. And it, it's funny. What communicates that you care? That you spent the time learning in advance enough about the customer that you could ask an insightful question, that you have a sense of how they make money, or at least you know what to ask, as opposed to, I know. I, I, Sight unseen, I can solve your problems. You don't even know who I am. You know, I can solve the problem. I, I solve problems all the time. It, yes, so do I. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, the other one, another one that's said is similar to this is um, salesperson will ask, they learn, you got to ask questions, but they ask the wrong one. They ask what I call insincere questions or a question that's not going to help. Them. So a question like this, who are you using now for the service? Oh, we use the XYZ company. Um, uh, by the way, I sometimes do work in other countries, and when I give that example, I go, the XYZ company. So I do, if this was in England, I'd be calling it the XYZ company. So I use the XYZ. Do you like them? Eh, not really. So when, when I, I, I've asked audiences all over the world, when the customer says, not really, do you like them? Not really. What noise occurs in the salesperson's head? Cha-ching, cha-ching. That's the noise that you hear. As opposed to the right question, which is, if Why? they're buying it and they don't, they must have liked them enough to buy them in the first place. If they or, not or they needed them, yeah, and and maybe maybe the best they'd ever get is they don't like them. You know, I, I that maybe maybe doesn't matter if they're the one who likes them because they weren't the decision maker. You know, there's a it's the it's the wrong conclusion that you're going to get a sale because they're because sometimes I feel like okay. So you don't like them, but you're paying them. You like what I'm saying, but you're not. How about this? I, 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 I think it should be why. 
If they say, yeah. oh, well, we don't really like them, ask why. Don't just why? Go, oh, yeah, now go, okay, so you're, you're going to be way happier with our stuff, blah, blah, blah. No, so, well, why didn't you like them? Be, yeah. be specific. Yeah, and what changed? What changed from the day you signed the contract to now? Because maybe what changed was you changed. The customer's needs changed along the way. And then what can we do? Like they, all, all that should be going through that is that what can I be doing to prevent them from having the same experience with that other company who's a competitor that we would uh, deliver a superior service? And if you wouldn't, just back off. Really, I hate how salespeople always try to sell people all the time when people right. are not qualified or it's going to be a worse thing for them. They don't need it. It's just, just stop. It's, it's unethical. Be a person. Like, do you want someone to sell you some garbage you don't need? Yeah. I mean, come on. You have a waffle maker. Someone walks up to you and says, this waffle maker is even better. You should buy right. it. Because, you know, like, and pushes you into it. You buy it and then you use it and it's broken the first day. You're stuck with a broken waffle maker that you just bought and your old waffle maker. That's Who right. That? That, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, they're trying to, this is where sales and marketing come together because they're trying to close, you know, in marketing, they refer to customers in three places in the, in the buying process, top of the funnel, where most people are middle of the funnel or bottom of the funnel. Top is you're qualified, but you're not looking middle is you're thinking, but you're not ready to act. And you're at the bottom, you're ready to, to, to act. And so salespeople often treat everybody as if they're all set to buy, no matter where and they actually are in the, in the process. And um, part of the reason they do that is because of a lack of understanding about the leads. If you're not prospecting enough, you won't have enough appointments. So you'll end up trying to close everybody because you simply don't have enough people to talk to. But the problem is that company, every company on the planet is doing a content marketing lead generation play. And, they get, and there's never enough leads, but there's two kinds of leads. There's MQLs, SQLs, marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads the marketing qualified leads that's 80 90 percent of the leads you know what a marketing qualified lead is somebody went to your website you know what a sales qualified lead is the person said could you, a salesperson please call me today that's a sales qualified lead so we 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 treat all leads as if they're sales qualified uh, and bottom of the funnel and why because the marketing department's job was to give me leads and my job is to close the leads from the marketing department's point of view it's like no no I, I, I beat the bushes and got from nothing, something. Together, we have to nurture the lead. And maybe this person's going to need time of nurturing time to go from top to middle to the bottom of the funnel. And then, then we could try to close them or then they'll be ready to buy. And if they're not ready to buy, don't, don't try to uh, close them. You almost want to walk into a meeting with the funnel and say, okay, where are you, by the way? Are you at the top, the middle of the bottom? If the person says, well, actually I'm at the top. Okay. Then you know what? Don't try to close them today. If they're in the middle, generally what the middle is, is, is you, um, is you narrow down from no choices. Like I'll give you an example. You're, you're going to buy a car in a couple of years. You're thinking, I don't know, maybe I'll go with this kind of car, that kind of car. You get to the middle of the funnel when you've, cut, when you've made a short list, three to five cars. The only problem is that emotionally you fall in love with one of those. It's three to five, but one of them is a convertible, and I really want to get the car. I fall in love with the one car that kind of skews the, uh, the, the, the choosing. So we need to figure out where in the process they are, what messaging they're open to, and what they're not open to and nurture together. So when the sales and the marketing departments work together, they end up with lead flow. 
But when they don't, they're both yelling at each other. You, you know, you don't know how to close the leads. You don't know how to get good leads. These leads are crap. Well, you know what? If the leads were so good, if the leads were so good that they closed themselves, this is what I tell salespeople, guess what? They wouldn't need salespeople. You know what they would do? They just have order takers for a lot less money. It's, it's a good thing that it's hard to close the sale. You know who's the best salesperson in the world? A cashier at a supermarket. It's unbelievable. They close 100% of the sales. They close like a million dollars of food a month. They're unbelievable. They never get a no. Everybody buys. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> never thought about that that way, actually. That's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> people are scanning groceries at the grocery store. The best salespeople in the world. 100%. Yeah. Maybe 99%. If they say, you know what? I didn't want this one. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you said to the cashier, listen, last week you sold $150,000 worth of food. This week, I want you to do a little bit better. I just want you to do like look at you like you had three fucking heads. Just like, wait, what? What does that even mean? Yeah. I'm not selling anything. I'm just sitting here like using the beeper thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But in the pro even if they tried to, in the process, they go, by the way, do you want another quarter milk? No. They'd have to, you know, they'd still they, their closing ratio on the extra sale would be like one out of a thousand. No, oh, yeah. if I wanted milk, I would have taken the milk. Yeah, do you want another gallon of milk? It's like, what the fuck would I buy two gallons? Gonna go the first one's gonna go bad. Shit. Like, I don't, yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. Maybe the can that's why I try to sell the candy up there and everything. Maybe if they suggested the candy up front, like, oh, don't you want one of those? Because they're on sale right now. Ooh, yeah, they, they, they might have a pretty good success rate. Maybe one out of 20. Yeah, right. But, yeah, no, but listen, we are out of time here. So, uh, I'll tell you what, Steve, that was like one, one of the most fun uh experiences I had doing the podcast. You were just full of energy, it's fantastic. And uh, I mean, I used to do step well, I still do stand up, I used to do improv too. We got to get together sometime and do some improv because I yeah, think be a hell of a lot of fun. That would be fun. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on, and I appreciate that. And by the way, I'm writing a book called Echo Selling, so it'll be out later this year. And when it is, I'm going to tell you about it, and maybe you'll have me uh, on again, uh, or at least tell your audience about it. But I really appreciate the opportunity, and great to meet you, Rob. Of course. Thank you so much. And again, this is Steve Bookbinder with Rob Turley, your host at Down the Rabbit Hole Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by White Rabbit Intel, where we enable sales teams and marketing teams to know more, win more, and close often by having predictive insight and certainty into their sales and marketing processes. It's pretty awesome stuff. Check it out at www.whiterabbitintel.com. And thank you so much. Uh, had a great time tonight. And uh, I look forward to having everybody tune in again next week. So hashtag DTRH podcast and hashtag sales enablement. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Down the Rabbit Hole podcast for new episodes weekly on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and YouTube. If you'd like to apply to be featured on the podcast or recommend a featured guest, please feel free to email us at the team at whiterabbitintel.com.